Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Good morning. My name is Pastor Brad. I'm the worship arts pastor here at New Life, and it's a great privilege uh, for me to be able to share with you today. And uh, you're probably wondering, what are these shoes doing up here on the stage? Uh, these shoes actually are representing something that our, our young children are doing as part of their summer jamboree here at New Life, which happens every Wednesday night from uh, 5 to 8. And part of their, their time together, they're learning to serve others and be a part of mission by doing a thing called Souls for Souls. And if you go to soulsforsouls.com, you can see what that ministry is all about. But essentially, what they do is they take lightly worn shoes and they give them to people who need shoes. And then they take other shoes that are really worn and they'll take them and they'll recycle them and uh, use those for ministry as well. And what they do is they give people a pair of shoes and then they tell people about Jesus. It's a really beautiful thing that they're doing. And uh, so our kids are involved in that and it's a really uh, cool experience for them as well. And that's why they're up here Sometimes you don't get to see uh, what's going on in the children's ministry if you're in here a lot or if you, you, know, you might not get to see what's going on irrelevant. I just want you to know that God's doing incredible things in, in both of those ministries and not really all the ministries here at New Life. It's really incredible to see what God is doing. And so uh, somebody came up to me and they, they found this shoe up here. And I think this is funny, okay? Just so you know, they, they found this shoe. It's only one shoe, okay? And they said, so, so it's only one shoe. Does that mean it only saves half a soul? And... Uh, I was like, I don't know, but that's funny, man. Um, <laughs> but I'll leave that up to Jesus. But anyway, um, so th- but now what they'll do is they'll take this. If there's no match for this, they'll recycle it and use it um, for ministry, and somebody will find out about Jesus because of that shoe. So that's a really cool thing. So anyway, welcome to a brand new series. I get to kick off a brand new series today called Sit, Walk, Stand, and I'm really excited to be able to be a part of this together um, with you and with the rest of our uh, teaching team here at New Life. Throughout the summer, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be studying a book in the Bible in the New Testament called Ephesians. And it's, a, it's actually a letter that was written by a guy named the Apostle Paul to a church in a city called Ephesus. And so we're really excited to kick off this series today and go through it together verse by verse um, here on the weekends. And as you're during the week, you can study as well. And I want to let you know about two tools that we have for you to go deeper in your study and your growth um, this summer. And uh, first one is this. This is a study guide that we actually put together in order to help all of us grow together and to follow along uh, during the messages as well. If you uh, want to use that, you're more than welcome to, and we'd love for you to grab one. If you didn't get one last week, we handed them out last week. And if you didn't get one, they're available in the back by the doors, outside the doors. If you go out, you can pick up one of these books. You're more than welcome to do that right now if you like, or if you want to grab it after after worship today, uh, certainly you could do that. But it's really cool because in this book, the very first couple pages um, actually talk about the background to Ephesians. And so it goes a little bit deeper um, even than I'm going to go today about the background of Ephesians. And you can look at that and read through that. And then we give you the whole uh, book of Ephesians in there right after that. So you can read through the whole letter that Paul wrote. And then on page 16... 
you can see that there's a, a place where you can actually put notes. It has today's message, A Glorious Union, Ephesians 1, 1 through 14. That's what we're going to be studying today. I would encourage you to use this to write notes, maybe something God speaks to your heart about. Um, it has the take-home point and the commitment in here. And then down here is a gray box. And in the bottom of that gray box, <clears throat> what you'll see is it's something for you to do this week as a result of what we're studying together here. So I would encourage you to grab one of these and take it and use it. And listen, if you're not going to use it, that's okay. Just don't take one, all right? Leave them for other people who, who will grab it and want to um, dig in with that. And it's got the scriptures each week, so you can kind of underline those as well. Then the second book that we were kind of using as a resource for this series is this book actually called Sit, Walk, Stand, which is where we got the title for the series by a pastor named Watchman Nee. Now, Watchman Nee was a Chinese pastor. He's been dead for about 50 years now. And uh, it's just an incredible thing. As a reader, I read a lot of books. And, and uh, every time I read a Watchman Nee book, I am just blown away. In fact, I think every time it can't get any better. And then I'll read another one of his books, and I'm like, Man, he blew the doors off this thing, too. I mean, just unbelievable author, unbelievable pastor. And, uh, and I would encourage you, we have this book available for you to purchase out at our book stand in the gathering area. If you'd like to do that today and you want to go deeper this summer, I would encourage you to do it. Because what Watchman Nee did is he looked at the book of Ephesians, the letter of Ephesians, and he saw a process in the book. And he saw really two sections. He saw a doctrinal section, and then he saw a practical section. And so he looked at the first three chapters of Ephesians, and he saw that there was this doctrinal part. And the doctrinal part simply is this. That's the, the, the thoughts, the beliefs, the foundations for our thinking. That's what doctrine really is. And that's what Paul wrote about in the first three chapters of Ephesians. And that's what uh, Watchman Nee pointed out, is that there's this doctrinal part. And then he says in chapters 4, 5, and 6... There's more of this practical, this application, this kind of go and do kind of thing. So, so he called that the, the practical side. And he noticed that there were actually two sections but three parts. So in the doctrinal part, there's, or doctrinal section, there's only one part. But in the practical section, there's two parts. And so in the doctrinal section, he says that, that what Paul's communicating in the first three chapters of Ephesians is really this whole idea of redemption. And what redemption is is simply this. That let's picture yourself that you're a slave to somebody or, or some organization, but you have a slave owner, and, and you want nothing more than to be free. And so what redemption is, is that somebody comes along, and they ask your slave owner, hey, how much, how much for that slave? And then they pay the cost for that slave, and then that, that person, that person being you and me, that slave, is bought at a price, and we're set free. That, that's what it means to be redeemed. And so Paul, using that imagery, talks about Jesus and how Jesus has saved us from death. He has brought us out of death and brought us into life. And that's been the, that was the focus of Paul's first three chapters of the letter of Ephesians. And so it's a really uh, powerful, important thing that we understand that first part. And so what Watchman needed is he said, listen, this is where we come with this idea of sitting that we are going to be seated with Jesus in the heavenly realms. In fact, 
If we put our faith in Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus today, then you need to know that already you have a position in Jesus. And that position is in the heavenlies. In fact, here's what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. He said, For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. And so what that means is this, guys, that our identity is not found in this world. Our identity is actually found in Jesus. Our position is in Jesus. And then moving over to from the doctrinal section to the practical section, Watchman Nee noted that in chapter 4 and 5, Paul talks about walking wisely before the world. And what that means simply is this, that as followers of Jesus, we need to walk wisely before the world because what Jesus taught us is that we're lights in a dark world. And we need to be shining that light into the darkness in order to show people the way who is Jesus. And so Watchman Nee said we need to walk wisely, and he pulled that out directly from the Scripture. And then in chapter 6, he says we need to stand against the enemy. That needs to be our attitude against the enemy, that Jesus, because of our position, because of our identity in Jesus, we can now stand with authority against the enemy. And so that's where we get this whole idea, and that's where he gets this whole idea of sit walk, stand. And then what Watchman Nee did so beautifully, and it's absolutely true, is he identified that process as a process of maturity, because it really is. I want you to think about this. When you were a kid, you did some silly things, right? Like you did some things that, you know, probably weren't the best things, but they're kind of cute, you know? And then maybe as a teenager, you do some things, and they're still kind of cute. But then let's say you keep doing those things, you know, into your 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s. Then what happens? It's not cute anymore, is it? What we call that, we call that immature. And you see, what God is calling followers of Jesus to be is not immature. He's calling us to be mature. And so what Watchman needed is he said, listen, this process of knowing our position in Christ and walking before the world um, with, with really integrity in our faith and just having a great faith, and then standing against the enemy, that really is a process of maturity for the, for the follower of Jesus, for a Christian. And so he lays that out beautifully in the book, and that's why I'd encourage you to, to kind of get that and dig in. But that's exactly what we're going to be focusing on as we go through this series this summer. And I want you to think about that. As we dig into this series, how are you going to grow up? What areas do you need to grow up in in this summer? Because here's the deal, guys. I don't care if you're... Uh, a baby like my youngest son is just almost three months old, or if you're, you know, 80, 90, 100 years old, we all still have areas we need to grow up in. And so we need to ask God, where do we need to grow up this summer? And I pray that you'll do that. So uh, let's pray together, and then we'll dig into the book of Ephesians. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for everything that you are going to do this summer. Thank you that we can experience your truth and your love and your grace. And really, God, your, the words that you have uh, sent Paul to write and the words that Jesus spoke and all of this, God, that we have, I pray you would use it. You would open our hearts to what you have for us today, that we might grow up into you. And so we just give you praise and thanks for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me tell you a little bit about the book of Ephesians. As I said earlier, the Apostle Paul wrote it. Uh, the Apostle Paul is known really to uh, followers of Jesus as a church planter. Paul kind of went around in the Middle East uh, right after Jesus had, had died, was resurrected, and then ascended back into heaven. Uh, Paul, actually, before he believed in Jesus, he didn't believe in Jesus, and he was killing Christians. 
But then Paul had an experience with Jesus, and Jesus changed his life forever. And Jesus gave him a mission to take the message of Jesus, the message of what we call the gospel, to this group of people called the Gentiles. Now, Gentiles were simply people who weren't, Jew, who weren't, who weren't Jewish. So they were, uh, they were people just, you know, kind of like us. You know, most of us don't have a Jewish heritage. Um, Gentiles are just like us. We are, we are Gentiles. I'm a Gentile because I don't have any Jewish heritage. Um, so Paul was sent and given this mission to go to the Gentiles, and, and that's exactly what he did. But as he went, what Paul did is he would go into a town. He would preach the gospel. He would tell people about Jesus. People would believe in Jesus. They would get saved, in other words, is, is, is uh, one way the Bible describes it. And then they would begin meeting together, and that was called the church. And so Paul would go from town to town to town, planting churches. And one time on his second missionary journey, he was coming back home after planting a bunch of churches and kind of building up some churches he had already planted. He was coming back through, and he stopped in this city called Ephesus. And while he was there, he was preaching the gospel, and people got saved, and the church was born in Ephesus. And then Paul left, and he went back to Jerusalem because he had some business that he had to deal with there for about a year. And then after a year had passed, he went back to Ephesus, and he spent the the next three years in Ephesus building up the church. He was helping to edify them, to teach them, to grow them. And then after three years, Paul left again, and he continued to build up other churches and plant other churches. Eventually, around AD 60 or so, Paul was arrested in Jerusalem. And the reason is because Paul was preaching about Jesus. He was telling people about this good news that, that we have, that God loves us, and he sent his son for us. And, and these people began to get mad, and so they started rumors. And Paul then was arrested because in the, in the, Roman, uh, in the Roman area, uh, if you were a governor, you did not want to have an upheaval of cultural people. Like, you didn't want Jews to start to rebel because if they started a little fight here, it might turn into a whole rebellion, then they might lose ground there. So, so what would happen is the Romans would get involved quickly, and that's exactly what happened in this situation is the Jews were very, very uh, frustrated with Paul, and uh, they, were gonna, they wanted to kill him, actually. But the Romans, fearing kind of an overthrow, went in and they arrested Paul, and Paul ended up in Rome under house arrest. And while Paul was in Rome in AD 60 and 61, he wrote some letters to some churches, one of those letters being the Ephesian letter to the church. Now, interestingly, Paul also wrote another letter called Colossians, and we, we actually studied that book last year. And I encourage you to hop online to our website, newlifexn.org, and watch that because it was a very powerful series as well. And, and Paul's writing these letters to these churches so that he can help build them up. And that's exactly what he was doing in the Ephesian church. And that's exactly what we find as we dig in today into Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to look at verse 1, and we're going to start there and go through verse 14. So if you would, pull out your blue book if you want to follow along, page 16. If you have your Bible or your smartphone, you want to follow along, navigate to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 1, and uh, here's what it says. It says, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. So Paul starts off by identifying who the letter's from, and that's a good thing. 
right? When we communicate with people, don't we typically say who we are, who, who it's from, right? Even if you have a text message that has your name up at the top typically, or uh, you'll write an email and you put your name at the bottom of it. Well, that's exactly what Paul did. Paul says, you know, it's me, Paul. I'm writing this letter to you. Uh, you guys know me because I planted the church, and I know there's some new people as a part of your church, and that's great. That's what we want. Um, you know, but here's a letter to, to, that's going to help you grow. So he says, I'm Paul. And then he says something very important. He says, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Now, an apostle is just simply somebody who's, who has a message from someone to deliver to someone else. That's what an apostle is. An apostle is somebody who has a message from someone to, to deliver a message to someone else. And that's what Paul is. But Paul, not only does he say he's an apostle, he says he's an apostle of somebody pretty important, Jesus. And so what that means for the church in Ephesus is that when they see that he is an apostle, he's been given this message from God to be given to the Ephesian church. They take this very, very seriously. So they are very concerned about what Paul has to say because his words carry some serious weight. And then Paul continues on. He identifies who he's talking to exactly. He says, I am writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. And that's a very encouraging thing because a lot of times Paul would plant a church in a very rough area, which, by the way, Ephesian, or Ephesus was a kind of a rough area. Uh, there was a lot of pagan worship there. And you can actually read about that in your little blue uh, study guide. And I don't want to go into that today, but, but there was a, it, it was kind of you know, a pagan little town. And so Paul's writing to them and saying, hey, listen, you guys are faithful followers of Jesus, which is a very good compliment for them. And he's, he's identifying who he's talking to. He's talking to the church, followers of Jesus specifically. And then he gives them this message. May God, our Father, and the Lord, of the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. So Paul starts off with this personal greeting that God wants nothing more for them and nothing less for them, really, than grace and peace in their lives. Because remember, Paul's carrying this message from God to the Ephesians through this letter, and he wants grace and he wants peace to abound in their lives. And so I'm sure the Ephesians were very, very um, just excited about that. So it's just a beautiful thing that Paul starts off this letter, grace and peace. And then Paul, in verse 3, he starts something which is really, really incredible. And what we're going to see today, actually, is our take-home point is this, is that God redeems all things through Jesus. In the next few verses, verse 3 through 14, we're going to see that God is going to redeem all things through Jesus. God is going to redeem all things through Jesus. And Paul is so enthusiastic about this message. He is so excited about this message that he starts this sentence in verse 3 and he builds it clause after clause. He writes clause after clause until he gets to verse 14 and he doesn't use any commas, any periods, and he uses over 200 words. Now, I'm not that great at English, but I know that that's an F on any kind of essay I would write, Right? In fact, in high school, I was, had the pleasure of having my father as my English teacher. And so I know that in his class, that would have been, do it again, right? But not for Paul. Paul is sitting here. He's so excited about what he's saying. He's so excited to show us how Jesus redeems everything, brings everything together under his authority. And God is doing that through Jesus He's so excited. He's writing, he's writing, he's writing, he's writing. And then he writes verses 10, 11, 12, and 13. And then the very end of 14, he brings it all together. And he's so excited. He just writes a 200-word sentence. And here's how it starts. 
All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. So first Paul points out that all praise belongs to God for every spiritual blessing that we have as followers of Jesus, which, by the way, there are a lot of spiritual blessings that we have. And it's only because we are followers of Jesus, because we believed in Jesus. That's what Paul says right here. It's really a glorious union of us and Jesus. And it happens through faith. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to read about how we receive this incredible grace through faith. And I'm excited to see how Pastor Chris unfolds that because it is just such a beautiful thing for our lives that we can experience God through believing in Jesus. And when we do that, we receive. So in other words, you could say this way, when we believe, we receive. When we believe, we receive. Receive. Would you say that? When we believe, say that? We receive. Yeah. When we believe, we receive. When we believe in Jesus, what do we receive? We receive life. We receive uh, eternity. We receive spiritual blessing after spiritual blessing. We receive the Holy Spirit. We receive direction. We receive purpose. We receive life in Jesus. You see, when we believe, we receive. Paul then continues on in verse 4. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Now, this is such a very important passage, and I want to tell you why. It's important because Paul was a Jew, and Paul knew that he was accepted before God because he was a Jew. Paul knew he could have a relationship with God because he was a Jew. But Paul is writing this letter from Rome to Ephesus, Ephesus being a Gentile city, which means there's no Jews there. So he's writing to people, guys, just like us. And you know what he's saying to them? He's saying, hey, guys, listen. God loves you. God chose you. And then Paul continues, and he says this beautiful thing in verse 5. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. I hope you grab a hold of this, and I hope that you take this to heart, guys. God wanted you. God likes you. God wants you to be a part of his family. In fact, Paul uses very strong language. He says that God chose you, and then he adopted you. Now, that word adoption, uh, adopted, means a lot to me because my wife and I have adopted a little boy. For the first four years of our marriage, we could not have children, and we were struggling with that, and we were praying and just asking God, you know, what what can we do? What should we do? And, And then this opportunity came about for us to adopt this little boy. And so we prayed about it and we sought uh, wisdom from other people about it. And we decided that we would move forward with this adoption. And I'll never forget sitting in the courtroom, actually we're standing in the courtroom before the judge and the judge looks us right in the eyes and she says to us, do you realize, Mr. French and Mrs. French, that Marcus will have every right that any biological child will ever have. He will have every right to everything that you ever own. Everything. Our retirement, our house. He'll have have the rights to our property. 
he'll have every right that any biological child that we could have would have. And we looked back and we said, yes, we understand that. We understand what we're doing. And do you know that God does the same thing for us? God says, come into my family. I want to adopt you. And listen, my family's good. I am love. I am good. I am faithful. I will never give up on you. I will redeem your life. That's what God is saying to us today. That's what God said to the Ephesians. That's why Paul used the word adopt. That's why we're hearing that word today, that God wants us to be a part of his family. And listen, then as part of his family, we have rights to everything that God has. That's why all these spiritual blessings that Paul's talking about, they are so incredibly important for us because we have the right to those things. We just have to claim it. We have the right to everything that God has. So then Paul continues on after he tells us of this incredible thing that God has done. He says, so we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. So Paul points the Ephesians and us back to the fact that this is all about God. And we need to praise God. We are a part of God's family because of what God has done. Paul has poured out, or God has poured out his kindness on us, his grace on us. And he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son. And this is why this is so important, guys, because you, you and me, us, we, whatever, the gram- I was not that great at grammar, as you can tell, okay? We all are screwed up. And you don't, you don't need me to tell you that because you already know that about yourself. You're screwed up, I'm screwed up. And we're screwed up because of this one thing called sin. You see, back in the, in the beginning when God created everything, everything was good, God said. His relationship with people was good. It was actually perfect. And he could be with people. He could actually walk with them and talk with them and be with them. And then something happened, and and we learn about this in Genesis chapter 3, where Adam and Eve, who were the first people God created, they decided to rebel against God. They decided they wanted to be God. And so they sinned against God. In other words, they broke God's law. And what happened is there were consequences to that. And the consequences now that that, that carried through for Adam and Eve actually carry through for us as well. And And what happened is sin came between us and God, and we cannot have a relationship with God on our own. We just can't because we're sinful, sinful people. And that's our problem. And you know, God knew that. God knew about our problem. God knew about our sin problem. In fact, that's what most of the Old Testament is all about, to be honest with you. How to deal with that sin problem. When, when God was speaking to his people, Israel, he's saying, listen, you got this sin problem, kill this animal. You've got this sin problem, kill this animal. There was blood required to deal with the sin problem. But God had a different plan that included more than just the Jews. And so what he did is he sent his son into the world, born of a virgin, then growing up fully man, fully God. Jesus never sinned. And then Jesus, when he was 33 years old, was condemned to die on a cross because people started rumors. 
and Jesus went to the cross. But do you know that was actually God's plan? Because on that cross, what happened is they, they pounded the spikes, nine-inch nails, into his wrists and into his feet, and he died there, and he bled because that's what was required to deal with sin. He died for me and for you. And Jesus, in his death, paid for our redemption. God knew what the cost was for us to be redeemed from death. It was the cost of his son. And that's exactly what Jesus did on the cross. He died in our place. And so he was buried, and for three days, Jesus was doing some crazy stuff. The Bible's not exactly clear, but we do know one thing. He was victorious. And then he rose again by the power of God on the third day. And through that resurrection, he had overcome sin and death forever. And now, when we believe in him, we receive his life. And we receive an eternal life after this life is over. That is what Paul was talking about here in verse 8. We praise God for this incredible redemption that we have because God dealt with our sin problem. It's not anything we have done. Guys, we can't do anything to earn God's favor. It's all about what God has done for us. So praise God for that. And that's what Paul was leading them back to and leading us back to. Then in verse 9, Paul says, God has now revealed to us his mysterious plan regarding Christ, a plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. So God has given us two things, wisdom and understanding. That's why we can understand and we can know this plan that God has. And the plan is this, that God, through Jesus, is bringing everything together. He's redeeming everything. Look at that in verse 10. Paul, man, he's so excited about this. And this is the plan. At the right time, he'll bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. So we've been talking a lot about us today. A lot about people. Do you know God is in the, in the, he wants people to come to know him. He wants people to be a part of his family. But do you also realize that it's not only us, but it's, it's the whole earth, right? In fact, the other day I was, I was trying to clear a path uh, in our woods, which is incredibly challenging because where we live has just an abnormal amount of like red thorns and thistles. Um, you, you know what I'm talking about? Those like briar bushes, those things are insane, um, and I know that they're probably Satan's favorite plant. Um, but anyway, I was trying to clear this, and I, I went out one day, and I was clearing this section, and, uh, and I went back the, inside, and I came out a day later, and I looked, and there was like five more plants where I just cut. And I thought to myself, that stinks. And, and then I remembered in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, there were some serious consequences, one of them being increased childbirth for women. So you can thank Eve when you get to heaven. Give her a high five for that one. Um, and then the other one is uh, that, that for man, that the ground would actually produce thorns and thistles. So it became hard for the man to grow his own food. That was actually a curse that was given by God because of sin. And so I looked down and I was like, darn you, Adam. 
you know, and I did say darn because I'm a Christian, okay? So, so here's the deal. God is going to even redeem that so that when we get to the end and there's a new heaven and a new earth, there's, there's not going to be thorns and thistles on the ground anymore. That's a result of sin. So God, he is most concerned about us, but he's also redeeming everything under Jesus' authority. That's what he's doing, and he's using the church to do it. So it's an incredible thing. Look at verse 12. Paul's beginning to close up here. He says, God's purpose was that we Jews who were the first to trust in Christ would bring praise to the glory of to God. Praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. Now, remember, this is a big deal because the Jews, they knew that, and they did. They received this news, and many of them didn't believe it, but a lot of them did, and they did bring praise and glory to God. In fact, you can read about that in the book of Acts, the first two chapters. It tells all about how the, the, the apostles, the disciples who Jesus had, had been with, they believed in Jesus, finally, after what seemed like a really long time, they finally truly believed in who he was. They received the Holy Spirit. And when they received the Holy Spirit, the church was truly born. And then Peter, after receiving the Holy Spirit, began to preach. And do you know what happened? Jews began to get saved. They began to receive salvation. They began to experience this brand new life in Jesus. And they began to praise God for that. And so this was happening for the Jews, but the Gentiles were still kind of over here like nothing's happening to us. You know, it's just, you know, what is this thing that's going on? And then what God did is he took that message from the Jews and he transplanted it over here for the Gentiles, for us, so that they could know that they are chosen by God, that God loves them. And then he says this, he continues on, he says, and when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. So not only did God give the Jews the Holy Spirit, he also gave the Gentiles the Holy Spirit after they believed. So what that means, guys, is this, anybody who believes in Jesus receives the Holy Spirit, and that's incredibly important because of the next verse. Paul says, the Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. So when God gives us the Holy Spirit, he puts a deposit in us that guarantees that we will be with him both now and forever. It's a guarantee. You could take it to the bank that God, as you believe in Jesus, God will give you the Holy Spirit and he will give you this inheritance. Now, the beautiful thing about this inheritance is it's eternal life with God. But Jesus also talked about a different kind of life than the life we normally experience here on the earth. It's called Zoe life, and it's life abundant. It's a good life. It's a life that God wants us to have here and now that transfers into eternity, and it happens through this inheritance that God gives us. Because as a part of who we are, do you know that God gives us our gifts, our skills, and our abilities? He gave you your personality. He knew, he designed you and me to do certain things on the earth in order to work out his plan, which is that people would come to know Jesus and that they would be redeemed and that they could find hope in Jesus. They could find this very thing, this, their purpose in Jesus. And do you know that all of us have a part in that through who God has designed us to be? That's part of our inheritance. You see, here's the deal, guys. Without Jesus, and when we're not under Jesus' authority, our lives don't make any sense. Right? I mean, 
a lot of you know what I'm talking about, right? Because you, like you've you've chased after like sex, and you maybe chased after money, you maybe chased after power, you, you, whatever it is that you chase after in your life, whatever you spend an inordinate amount of time and 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 resource on, that's really what you're worshiping. And it's only when we worship the right thing that we find true satisfaction. Because we can worship all the wrong things, and we'll never. We might be happy for like a minute or two minutes, five minutes, ten minutes, maybe an hour, maybe a day or two, you know. But that iPhone, it gets old the next day after it came out. Right? Those drugs, they lose their high eventually. And what we find is we're empty. And it's because we're worshiping the wrong thing. See, what God is trying to show us and what he showed the Ephesians is this, that only when we worship the right thing does our life make sense. Only when we worship the right thing does our life make sense. And that right thing is Jesus because he made us and he has given us an inheritance. And that inheritance is for now and for eternity. So when we believe that, we receive that. When we believe that, we receive that. And then Paul concludes this whole section with this one sentence. And here's what he says. He being God, did this so we would praise and glorify him. He did this so that we would praise and glorify him. God did all of this. He's bringing everything together under Jesus' authority. He's redeeming all of us. He's redeeming our past. He's redeeming our failure. He's redeeming our success. He's redeeming everything about us in order that we might bring glory to him. Guys, it really comes back to this whole idea of worship because only when we glorify God, only when we praise God, only when we worship God rightly will we find what we've been looking for our whole life. So no matter what you've been looking for, wherever you're looking for it, if it's not Jesus, you're not going to be satisfied. Heads up. Only when we pursue Jesus Only when we worship Jesus does our life make sense. Do we find true satisfaction? And so today, I don't know where you're at, but I want you to know this. Just like Paul, he was so excited about this. He was writing and writing and writing and writing and writing in 200 words. He goes, I better put a period here. He got to this point where he realized, guys, this is it. It comes down to who are you going to follow? Who are you going to worship Are you going to allow Jesus to redeem your life? Because God redeems all things through Jesus, and he wants to redeem your life today. So if you would, close your eyes and bow your heads. I want to give you just a minute. Between you and Jesus, just personally, because he is a personal God. He wants to have this relationship with you. We read that today. He chose you. He likes you. He loves you. He wants to be with you. He wants you to be with him. He wants you to accept this inheritance. And today, guys, if you have not been claiming that, if you've not been receiving that, then I want you to walk out of here today having received that. And maybe for the first time you've not known about Jesus or you weren't, you know, you're curious about Jesus. We're so glad you're here because this is your moment to say yes to Jesus for the first time. And when you do that, your life will begin to make sense. It might not make sense immediately, but it will. So in this moment, whatever you need to do 
to surrender your will to Jesus and to live under his authority and his direction because, listen, he's good. He's not going to lead you astray. He loves you. He's got nothing but the good plan for you. So whatever you need to surrender to him today, surrender it to him. If you need to surrender your life to him for the first time, surrender it to him. Just say, Jesus, I believe because Jesus said that's all you have to do is believe. So right now in this very intimate moment, would you just share with him what you need to give to him today? Jesus, thank you for the lives that are being changed right now. Thank you that you are reaching in to our souls and making alive our spirits. Thank you that you are igniting a passion to follow after you and to love you. And God, today I, t- I pray that you'll take all of these things that are surrendered today and that you'll cast all the these sinful things as far as the east is from the west as your word says you will and that you will replace anything that we worship and you will be our true God, our true king. And God, today I pray that if there are any who for the very first time said yes to you, that you would fill them with your spirit, God, and make yourself so real to them and help their lives to begin to make sense, God, as you teach them through your word, as you speak to them through your spirit, as you lead them by your spirit. God, would you just do that today? And God, for those of us who have trusted you and believe in you, I pray that you would, God, make us more aware of your presence. Help us to remember that you are constantly redeeming our lives day in and day out, as we surrender our will for your will. God, will you lead us and guide us to be submitted to Jesus, that we might see him restore incredible things in our lives. We just give you the praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen. And guys, can you imagine, can you imagine what it will be like if even this side, if you're a follower of Jesus in here today, if you decided that I'm going to live under the authority of Jesus, even just this week, what will that look like? What will that look like? What will that be like? You know what it'll do? It'll transform your house, like, like your family. It'll transform your communities. It'll transform regions and nations. And God will receive the glory because God only is the one who deserves that glory because people's lives don't make sense outside of worshiping him. So I hope that you'll take that seriously. So how can you do that? You can do that by living out today's purpose, which says this. I will fulfill my purpose by living as a redeemed person this week. That's our commitment for today. I will, I will fulfill my purpose by living as a redeemed person this week. 
guys, I don't have a lot of time. I don't have any time to go into what that means, what your purpose is, and anything like that. In fact, we talked about that, like, for the first two weeks of the last series. So go online and watch that. But I want you to know this. God has gifted you, and we're going to learn in Ephesians chapter 2 that he has works for you to do. And so that's an incredible thing. But, but go out and use this gifts and talents and gifts that God's given you and just be a light before the people and point people like Paul did today in our, in our passage to Jesus that they might praise him and glorify him and know that you are submitted to Jesus' authority because that's what the world really wants. They want that grace and peace that Paul opened his letter with.